This is the Great IO Get Together, originally recorded on YouTube Live. Although you can listen to the show as a podcast, you only get the full experience by visiting thegig.online/youtube. Welcome to the Great IO Get Together. On tonight's show, quips and queries about the world of work as IO psychology comes alive. Please welcome our hosts, Richard and Tara. Thank you so much, Rosemary. And welcome, everyone, to the great IO get-together number 23, Hot Foods and Even Hotter IO Takes. Uh, this is my co-host, Tara. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, remember to subscribe, ring the bell, join Discord, join our email list if you haven't done that already. Uh, details about all of that are available on our website, thegig.online. Uh, today's show is going to be a little different from the usual, and uh, Tara will tell us all about it. So the game that we're going to play is based on one of the best things on YouTube right now, which is a series called Hot Ones. On the original Hot Ones, uh, celebrities come on the show and eat very spicy chicken wings while an interviewer asks them difficult questions. So in our variation of Hot Ones, um, first we asked our guests to prepare a spicy food and then tell us all about it. And after the spice starts to kick in, we ask each guest to give us a controversial opinion about the field of IO psychology, and then we chat about it. Let's get to it. I'm Tammy Allen, and I am a faculty member in the psychology department at the University of South Florida. I chose this because I've been a vegetarian since the late 1980s. And the question that always comes up, even though vegetarianism is much more popular now is, hey, how do you get your protein? What I have is some brown rice with a few green beans, but the star of the show is this spicy tempeh. And it's one of my favorite ways to get protein. It's also a fermented food. So it has probiotic um, properties as well. So I just picked up a hot sauce that I've never tried before. And I'm going to add that so I can be properly surprised. Amazing. So I'm just gonna add a few dashes of that there. And it's already for anyone, I'm not, you know, I'm not a paid endorser of this, but this is the already spicy tempeh. So are you usually a spicy food fan? Yeah, not crazy on the spice, but a, um, some, a moderate amount of spice is good. That's good. Is it as spicy as you thought? It's enough spice to make me want to take um, a drink of water, but I think I can continue talking. Terrific. That's exactly the right level. Now that you're all spiced up, tell us your spiciest take about IO psychology. So I, you know, I don't know about the spice level of this, but I think with regard to our IO research, we need to bring unsexy back. Um, I think we've lost our way in terms of the norms associated with what makes for a meaningful research contribution. And I'm not just referring to the too much theory conversation, but you know, the emphasis on novelty, boldness, interestingness as the markers for what constitutes a, a contribution. You know, we're supposed to radically change assumptions. Um, we're supposed to change the conversation. And if we're always changing the conversation, how do we ever move forward? And if you aim to solve a problem, you likely want to continue to have the conversation rather than always changing it. You change the conversation when you want to avoid tough things. 
So I think this chasing novelty is pulling us away from answering important questions from programmatic endeavors. Um, you know, research shouldn't be about shock and awe. Um, you know, it sometimes ha happens that we're uh, shocked and awed, but that shouldn't be the standard. When I think about the people I admire most, their their work is surprising, but it's their body of work that that is sort of accumulating over time. And it's not like they're trying to flash and dazzle with every paper. So where do you think that pressure comes from? Why do you think people feel like they need to be novel with every paper or be dazzling? Yeah, I think it, um, you know, I've been looking at different editorials that have been written about what constitutes a contribution and that's where you see it. It's the, um, I don't wanna make this a B school versus psychology, but you know, I think the B school emphasis on A level journals and those are the characteristics that are needed to get into those A level journals. And so it's kind of like the dangers coming from within the house. We're not, we're not embracing our roots as IO psychologists we're kind of letting these standards that come from um, management departments dictate how we're conducting our research. Yeah, it's the, um, I think the clickbait studies um, mm -hmm. come to mind too. And, and that comes from certain segments of psychology as well. Um, so, right, there's also this pressure to be in the media and, and be quoted and have your research um, be the study that's being talked about in the in the New York Times. So again, what we're chasing is is notoriety rather than doing high quality, meaningful research. We have all had a common reaction when we've been at the the PSYOP conference and the individuals that you know, are receiving recognition in various forms. The, the headline that we as a society are providing is, this person has published X number of A journals and has been cited X number of times. So I, even little things like that are really sending out the wrong message in terms of, of what we value as a society. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am uh, Dr. Studi Tapa very recently, so <laughs> very proud of that. Um, and I am an assistant professor at University of Tulsa, and I'm assistant professor in psychology in the IO psychology department. So I'm really excited about this because I had been struggling to make momo achar, um, which is uh, one of the best food in Nepal and probably the world, I would say, not biased. Um, but the one thing I've been struggling with the most is the achar, which is the spicy sauce that comes with the dumpling. And that, I think, is the thing that sets it apart from dumplings across the world. Now, the achar is notoriously hard to make. It's very spicy um, because you put a lot of chili peppers, sesame seeds, tomatoes. Everything else was a mystery. Tried to find many ways to make it. And finally, my parents came home, came here uh, to visit, and then my mom had a recipe, and the secret ingredient was peanuts. So I'm very excited about that. <laughs> and I would have not known because I went through like thousand recipes and then like could not be right. Um, the trick but, is to find some old relatives and bribe them. I think that's yes. the only way to get any yes. recipes. <laughs> I guess so. And and I don't remember my mom making good achar <laughs> when I was young. I guess when I was when you've been left home for like. 
12 years, <laughs> 12 years, she, she learns new things. I didn't know. Um, but yeah, now I got this really spicy HR that I just made. Um, I was too lazy to make momos, so I got some prejudice um, dumplings. Um, but yeah, the HR itself is uh, what I made. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> is it as spicy but as you thought? It's, it could be spicier. <laughs> I mm. Nice to my husband. But... <laughs> I think it is very spicy, you know, for most people. So he's, he does not share your love of spicy food? He has a decent <laughs> tolerance. I think I could go more. Um, So uh, generally, I think I'm like two steps more. So sometimes I take a step out and then I add more spices to mine. So, yeah. It's like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. And you've been in the Midwest for a long time. So it would be understandable yeah. if you needed it. To- yes. So sometimes I go to Thai restaurants to train myself, you know? <laughs> they know how to make spicy (laughs) they do they do um okay my spiciest take is that IA psychology has to try really hard to not be too capitalist or too much for the corporate greed if that makes sense I would Mm -hmm. say one of my big fears joining the field um before because I was trying to explore different areas of psychology because I love stats I love psychology I want to help people I always seemed like the perfect fit. Oftentimes reading things, I was getting really afraid that I this this is trying to frame itself as being not like, you know, trying to help people. And of course, there are like areas of psychology that do a really good job about it. Um, but ultimately the way it was started, in a lot of ways, and even in the in the realistic parts of like the practice, it tends, it has a tendency to lean that way. And I think we have to like strong arm, strong arm it to get it to the quote unquote right track. So I would say that would be my spiciest take is that IO psychology naturally is very easy to lean into uh, a be anti-people or like anti-union, whatever it is. And us as researchers, I think have to try harder maybe than we do <laughs> to make it like kind of go in the right direction. So um, for example, um, Lewis, my advisor, recently published a paper um, called like well-being should be the, the main criterion. And I thought that was so wonderful. And it's something that I've been saying to a lot of people. Um, every time I say it, people just look at you like, I don't think organizations are going to like that. And I'm like, <laughs> but unfortunately, that's what I have to think about if I want to like practice as ecology um, and influence organizations as like, oh yeah, what do they want? And are they going to be against the needs of the people? Um, how have you balanced that in your own research? I mean, do you feel that tension in the kinds of questions you're asking and, and how do you approach it? Um, I do see that I could do more of the practice and on the practical side of it, right? Because I've been a bit scared of kind of like losing my morality and, and, and ethics and, and things like that. if if I were to go too far, but I, I don't think people necessarily come to you with a wad of cash and be like, you should do these things against our organization. Of course not. Uh, but like, if we think about even in positive psychology and like well-being research, right? Like all these research about mindfulness and, and things, positive organizational interventions are kind of like a bandit to a wound, right? Like these people are not being paid well, these people are not being treated well. And like me as an organizational psychologist, if I come in and do uh, an intervention it's like let's do a mindfulness that seems so uh, yeah so I mean not great basically (laughs) you go and research you go and practice think about this think about what you're doing and whether it's for 
the better betterment of society. So I think that's hopefully that's like my first step in passing this down um, the the field. Um, I hope to do that a bit more in practice, like work with more nonprofits, um, work with organizations and try to steer it that, you know, I don't think you should have to convince that good of the people is 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 good. But at the same time, like, it's an unfortunate fact that you have to. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm again starting, hopefully getting there a bit more. My name is Shelby Davis, and I'm currently a graduate student uh, pursuing my PhD in IO psychology. I got my master's um, in IO from Western Kentucky University, and now I'm at Colorado State. This was actually really difficult for me to choose. <laughs> um, it was either between Thai food or just spicy chicken. I did go with Nashville hot chicken. Um, I got my undergraduate degrees from Tennessee State University, so I spent four years in Nashville, um, and I'm in Fort Collins now, and I wanted to use this as an excuse to try this hot chicken that's not in Nashville to see if it's actually Nashville hot chicken, um, because most people don't get it right. <laughs> so the place is called Music City Hot Chicken. Mm. So we were so really leaning into it then. Like they're yes. really, they're really <laughs> interesting. Okay, great. Well, um, take a bite and tell us how it is. Hmm. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> Is it as spicy as you thought it would be? Actually, I thought it was going to be a little less spicy. <laughs> oh, I'm like worried now. I'm going to have to talk with spicy on my tongue. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. I would have definitely taken a smaller bite. <laughs> Given that I am in graduate training right now, my spiciest take is that the field of industrial organizational psychology should make employment law and employment or equal opportunity classes a requirement for completion of graduate level programs. Just given the history of IO and how legislation and IO have gone hand in hand in the past, um, especially with the legislative legislative climate of the 1960s, which led to a prominent theme in IO of uh, researching selection practice and personnel practices. And you can see those same themes today where when you think about the overturning of affirmative action and how that may impact organizations, um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, how this relates to providing healthcare benefits in an equitable way for employees, also the legalization of cannabis in the workplace or in the state legalization of cannabis. Um, all of these decisions are going to directly impact selection procedures for workplaces. And given IO's traditional um, training, we are the perfect people to come in and be able to help manage those new rules and um, those new legal mandates in a way that is uh, that meets compliance for organizations. I'm Melissa Keith. I'm an assistant professor at uh, Bowling Green State University. I didn't prepare it. I cheated and got takeout. <laughs> you know, I think purchasing counts as preparing in my book, so that's fine. <laughs> um, but I got um, takeout from, it's a local place in Bowling Green. They have really amazing burgers, and I've never actually tried their chicken chunks. In Ohio, they call them chunks which is, I would say, like, the least appetizing sounding thing ever. Um, but <laughs> to make it a little bit more 
about myself, I guess. I got the Nashville chunk since I'm from Tennessee. Um, and I know that obviously hot chicken in Nashville is a big thing. So I'm sort of within the limits. <laughs> so Melissa, you, you might not have known this, but Richard and I have had many fights about Nashville hot chicken because he is from the Nashville area and I'm from really? Buffalo, which also has famous chicken. He said Nashville <laughs> chicken is more famous than Buffalo chicken, which I disagree with, but um, apparently Nashville chicken has two votes today, so I'll have to accept it. Yeah, I just don't think people realize Buffalo wings originate in Buffalo. That is what I said. (laughs) They just assume they're made of Buffalo or something. It's horrifying, but I accept it as as possible. The two Nashville people say the Buffalo wings are not famous, so I'll deal with it. Um, Anyway, all right. So um, let's have you take a bite. We'll see if this lives lives up to actual Nashville hot chicken. (laughs) That's ringing endorsement there. (laughs) Okay. I will say when I first took a bite, I was like, this isn't spicy at all. What is this? Um, But there's an after kick. Hmm. So yeah, I would give it seven stars. Seven stars out of 10? Yeah, a seven stars out of 10. I would say it is pretty spicy, but it, it takes time to build up. This is probably the spiciest you're going to get in all bowling green. <laughs> Amazing to me. It's my first hot take um, that I bemoan a lot is that I don't think we do enough focus on training and experimental research in IO psychology. I think that creates a lot of problems um just a lot of correlational science not that there's anything wrong with that but I think we need more training and experimental design and my second take is more about the field of motivation and um as I I teach I'm actually teaching motivation this semester and we always have this big debate I do not think there's any such thing as purely intrinsically motivated behavior especially for adults in the workplace um, well, I am making my students design experiments for their term papers. And I told them, I was like, don't hate me, but you're required to have yeah. some sort of experimental element to practice. Um, so I guess that's one way. Just force it. Um, I like that approach. Melissa's students, I hope you're watching this. This is a very good idea and you're getting good education. My nose is running a little bit from that spiciness. So I guess it wasn't <laughs> too unspicy. My name's Lars Johnson. I'm an assistant professor of management at the University of Texas at Arlington. And my PhD is in IL psychology. So I've worked in IL psychology programs and I got my PhD from the University of Houston. I have um, some very spicy black beans right here, which have a uh, pepper sauce in them that I believe is made from either scotch bonnets or habanero. And then these are some uh, jalapenos that I pickled over the weekend. And then this is some uh, heated grilled chicken that I made over the weekend. Um, well, actually on Labor Day, so on Monday as well. Gotcha. So you made this. Do you know how spicy it is already or are you about to find out? Um, it's I've, I've had all the spices before. And so, um, but I like things pretty spicy. I'm not a ghost reaper pepper guy, but um, I get pretty close, I think. And so uh, my Scoville tolerance is decent, but, you know, I'm not one of those folks who or craving capacin or anything like that. That's not me. Well, scotch bonnets are pretty serious business. So mm-hmm. um, why don't you take a bite and then tell us how it is? All right, let's do it. I'll go with the uh, beans because those are the things that are the hot. Well, actually, I'll add in jalapenos to it as well. So here we go. 
I think adding the jalapeno was a bad idea, but <laughs> uh -oh. it's not terrible, but it's good. Yeah, it's good. You'd think the pickling kind of takes some of the bite out, but no? Maybe with the scotch bonnets. I don't know. Maybe they're getting together and ganging up on me. <laughs> so, I don't know. But I did put a lot of the uh, pepper sauce in there, so it actually spilled a little bit. It, it, it doesn't regulate out of the bottle. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to roll with it. I see. So is this in the regular rotation at your house? Do you cook it a lot? I cook a lot. Um, and so Rich can tell you that I love to barbecue. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I barbecue a lot. I used to be a more indoor kitchen guy. And then I slowly moved outdoor to do more barbecuing as my my love for that picked up and it became more of a hobby um, and a passion. And so I spent a lot of time cooking. Well, Texas barbecue is no joke. So I'm sure there's a, a really it's, rich it's, barbecue culture around you. It's serious. It's terrifyingly so, I would imagine. For some, yeah. For me, I'm whatever you know comes out of my smoker is it is what it is. We're eating it, so <laughs> we'll see what I happens like when I cook. Yeah, this will sound kind of preachy, but I promise it comes from personal experience and me pushing myself. Um, and it probably will sound like a norm for some of you. Um, I think we can do more, and I think that we've become somewhat used to how things work. Um, and somewhat complacent, but I really think as a field and not at a macro level, but more so as an individual, at an individual level, there's so much more that we can be doing and we can create time and space for it. And, you know, for example, um, Mike Zicker is super big into po local politics and he's big into pointing out those folks that are IO psychology involved in politics. And you look at that and for someone like me that researches leadership, it makes a lot of sense. Like we should be doing more um, as it relates to leadership on a larger scale. Um, I think of course what we're doing within organizations is great, but I think there's so many avenues that will help us with our marketing issue that if we took it upon ourselves individually to jump into, um, there would be a lot of benefit, not just you know for the field, but for people um, it brought. One of the other examples that I could give is open science and George Banks and a lot of folks out there are doing a lot of great stuff with open science, but that conversation is being controlled by folks outside of IO largely. And I think we really need a stronger foothold in that conversation because I think that some of the social components of open science, those things fall right into our lap and people aren't really talking about them. You know, there's things that are playing out on Twitter and on other social media platforms um, and we look at those things as IO psychologists and we say, kind of, probably could have been a better way. Probably shouldn't have done it that way. You know, probably didn't need to be a lawsuit. Probably could have been a process in place that will help us help us to avoid something like that. And I think, um, you know, we need to start stepping into some of those opportunities, no matter how uncomfortable or no matter how outside the status quo they are for us. Um, that's part of the reason that I'm really excited about, you know, being the diversifying IO psychology chair. And I look back at that and I'm like, I'm the type of student, like I was the type of student that DIP would have recruited. Hmm. Why didn't I think of this? And I think to myself, yeah, because you were complacent and you were fine with the way things were, you know, and had I really been thinking about how I could have improved my path and improved my experience, I would have thought, you know, we need to put something together that will do the exact same thing that the diversifying IO psychology program is doing. And I think a lot of us have thoughts like that, but for one reason or another, we're not putting those things out there. And I think we need to start doing that. I, I do think that 
when people say they're too busy to do something, what they really mean is they prioritize something else, right? And mm -hmm. sometimes that thing is is important and sometimes it's not, but people don't know it's not important because their local environment tells them it's important. And so they just have to do, you know, they have to chase tenure or they have to chase that grant or they have to chase whatever external um, marker someone handed to them. And they aren't really thinking about what would make them happy. I agree. I, I think that's part of creating a space and it'll take um, some time for that to happen where folks that are making those tenure decisions see activity, you know, um, that aligns with personal interests within the field um, as good things on your CV saying, I, you know, formed this committee and I formed this task force um, because it was a personal interest and it was something that needed to get done. And that's something that they look at and say, you know, that's the kind of service we'd like to see people be involved in because we know that that's something that needed to happen. And we're glad someone in our department took that opportunity and decided to say, hey, I'm going to put this on my back and carry it. And so I think that that's kind of a cultural shift that needs to happen within the field where we start to recognize more stuff like that, because a lot of the times only local service gets recognized, you know, for a lot of folks. And they, they steer clear of service in PSYOP, they steer clear of creating you know, these, uh, these, these projects and programs because they're worried about how they look. And I think we have to switch to an attitude that if this is going to improve the field, this is important to the department because our department is part of the field. My name is Kevin Hoff. I'm an assistant professor of IO psychology, even though we call it organizational psychology here at Michigan State University. This will be the start of my second year here. I, I don't have a, a prepared food, but I have a, a pepper that was picked from my brother's garden. So my brother lives on a farm in Western Illinois, and he has a very elaborate set of vegetables. Um, he, he grew some of like the spiciest peppers in the world and was, he had trained himself to eat them. He was eating them like in place of coffee in the mornings because he was trying to get off coffee. So he oh. just eat a, like a Carolina Reaper pepper uh, instead. Is that better? Is that better? Maybe it's oh. better. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is better, but uh, he has, he does a lot of goofy things. So um Unfortunately, he wasn't here or he wasn't at the farm when I was there like a week or two ago picking them. So I just sort of picked a bunch and I don't actually know what which one I have, but I did try it last night. Um, uh, as I was telling you earlier, I haven't had power for the last five and a half days. So I, I haven't really had, I haven't done much cooking in that time, um, but I was able to keep these peppers cool in a cooler. So they're, <clears throat> it's okay anyway to eat. And I really admire your dedication. Um, it's kind of persisting through power losses to <laughs> eat a bite of a spicy pepper. So you don't you don't know how spicy it is, and you don't know what kind of pepper it is. You just know that it could be potentially a Carolina Reaper. Is that right? Well, it's yeah. I don't think it is a Carolina Reaper, but I don't know what type of pepper it is. I did try it last night and put it in some like noodles, and it was it was pretty spicy. So I've I've cooked or I've cut. Um, two relatively thin slices of it, which um, I think one of them will suffice, but it's definitely getting there. Sometimes they sneak up on you after a while. Yeah. Did help that I, like I said, ate a little last night to... <laughs> Coat your mouth with butter or something to protect you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not terrible, I'll say, but it's pretty spicy. Um, well, I'll just go for the second. Have a okay, that's uh, that's both.
pretty spicy. It's pretty spicy, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not horribly unpleasant though. So. Okay, well, now that you're fully uh, under the influence of the spiciness, tell us your spiciest take about IO psychology. Sure. So, um, I'm not sure if this is my exactly <clears throat> spiciest one, but um, I was going to bring up, I guess, a general critique of sort of our our use as a as a field of overly complicated analytic models, which are, I don't know, people will say like that they need a sexy model or something like that to, to include in the paper. Well, I, I hear students sometimes say that like they need something more complicated to get published in the top journals. Um, so I think generally speaking, it's not just IO psychology that has this issue, but um, it, it seems kind of unnecessary and, and silly to have that be the issue. Um, so I guess in a, in my ideal world, it would be easier to sort of publish papers that didn't have a, a complex model. Um, the, the one that comes to mind most often is moderated mediation, which, um, is in a lot of papers in our field and, uh, not, there's nothing inherently like bad about that method, but it, it's, it seems like there, you know, there are more research questions that could be tested in the world. Yeah, I think you're being really kind. Um, I always like to say that the the analytics or the model or or the statistics, whatever you want to say, should match the research question. And people use fancy models to conceal the fact that the research questions aren't very interesting. To some extent, yeah, like when fields become mature or there's there's a lot of stuff already that is like correlational or regression, then it, it's somewhat natural to have a need to explore more nuanced relationships and things. But um, I think to some extent also, like there are other research questions that could be assessed that don't necessarily re require those models or um, it sort of relates to like studying constructs to death. And um, once like they've been, there's a knowledge base on something, people will just keep studying it. And certainly I'm guilty of it too, in terms of some of the constructs, but um, a broader set of research questions and less of an emphasis on having a model always in, in papers would be really helpful. Richard, how do you feel about this? So, you know, Kevin, maybe you don't know this, Richard and I are working on a book about research methods and these are some, this is pretty similar to this kind of advice we're trying to get across in the book. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's an, it's a weird problem because it's also wrapped up, not, not just in the research itself, but the sort of incentive structures surrounding all of this that uh, when you've been trained in a particular methodology, you know, it's it's significantly more effort and time to expand beyond that. And so if all you know is what your advisor taught you, then you're just gonna keep doing that. Uh, so, you know, that makes that makes the, the solution really complicated. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's not, it's not only education, but values. Uh, and that is a lot of uh, the book uh, is trying to communicate that kind of value set. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know where the, I don't know where the, like the easiest point to poke at to make it stop is honestly, I don't even know at this point, like how reviewers would respond to simpler analyses. Cause I, I would just suspect that it's rarely submitted at all now to, to, I like to go all histograms in my papers, <laughs> nothing but histograms, pie charts, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't understand that. Like I've had pie charts of papers too. And it gets, if I ever have one, it gets brought up in a review that like you shouldn't have pie charts. And I don't really understand why, like, what's wrong with the pie chart um 
I mean, nothing. If you're trying to make some kind of grand inferences with it, then maybe that's not so great. But if you're trying to describe, say, the makeup of your sample, who cares? Perfectly yeah. readable kind of chart, if you ask me. My name is Chen Tang. I'm an assistant professor at uh, Kogat School of Business, American University. Um, I actually just started this month, so feels uh so unreal to talk about to say that my myself is an assistant professor. Usually, I'll just go, oh, I'm a PhD student from the University of Illinois and stuff like that. But I try to adapt to my new role. Uh, my relationship uh, with IO, I, I, I should say, I, I actually don't have a degree on IO, but um, uh, I think first of all, I do research in IO. I um, sort of recognize myself as also. Oh, I I identify myself as an industrial psychologist. Um, and my research is primarily about personal selection and uh, average impact. So in, in, in some uh, bigger terms, my, the uh, ultimate goal of my research is to ensure fair and equal access to employment and increase organizational diversity. First of all, I have to confess a little bit. Uh, I uh, did not prepare this. My wife did. Uh, I'm bad at cooking, but um, this is, I, I don't know if it has a name, but this is just basically a stir fry with um, some pork belly and then um, some serrano and jalapeno. So supposedly to be uh, spicy. Oh, hang on. Um, I, I want to add some secret sauce to it. <laughs> so I have this... Um, uh, spicy sauce called um, Boldak hot sauce. I asked my one of my Korean friends uh, earlier today, Hi um, Hoon, if you're watching. Um, so he told me uh, Boldak means basically means fire chicken. So it's <laughs> like hmm. it should be very spicy. I, I, I keep it in stock all the time because it's very spicy. It's like really very spicy. So if you're interested, my suggestion is don't try this at home if you haven't tried it. Remember the name, Bodak. Not sponsored, by the way. I just. Like it. <laughs> um, and by the way, my wife is watching me behind the camera, so I, I should only say it's good. Um, I uh, probably went too thought? crazy on the spicy sauce. Yeah, it's very spicy. <laughs> mm. It is very. Mm. Mm. But it's good. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so now that you're fully infused with spices, tell us your spiciest take about IO psychology. Ah. Okay. <laughs> um, my spiciest take, um, don't have kids when, when you are doing IO research. No, no, no. Um, so um, so I, I, guess, I guess the thing I wanted to say is uh, let's do more Bayesian statistics. The, the, the primary reason being that uh, Bayesian stats represents a intuitive way of modeling after how human beings gain knowledge uh, from real data. Uh, so I think that process is very intuitive. And uh, uh, usually people say, hey, it's very, it's very um, you know, the Bayesian models typically run very slow and stuff like that. But, you know, we have now our computers and our cell phones are so powerful. So I don't think that's a barrier anymore. And um, people would also say, hey, um, one of the issues of Bayesian stats is that uh, you always have to give it a prior. And uh, how do you choose a prior? And sometimes people say, oh, we can just use non-informative. Or um, I, I, one thing I would like to argue is uh, in our field, 
we actually accumulated a fair amount of uh, prior information for us to use, such as all those meta-analyses. Uh, so this is related to my dissertation, so I always love to talk about it. So we, uh, some, we can find ways to use uh, those meta-analytic estimates as our prior information in our, in our basin uh, analyses. So I think it's time for us to, to do more basin stats. I love it. Why do you think people are afraid to try? Do you think it's just, just unfamiliar? They've never been taught? Um, one thing I heard from other people is that um, in some journals, if you uh, submit a paper that uses only basin analysis, Sometimes reviewers would be uh, would like, hey, hey, this is like this is something uh, slightly new, and then reviewers would be like, hey, what what what's the what's the results uh, running the using the uh, frequentist perspective, and then somehow you have to sh show that they converge <laughs> to to get through. Uh, that's one one type of barrier, and also I think um, the way um, the Bayesian uh, the Bayesian perspective and the frequentist perspective look at problems is slightly different. The, uh, the, the intrinsic logic behind these two perspectives are slightly different. So people need time to, to adapt to that. And uh, by, by saying that, I simply mean that maybe uh, Bayesian stats training isn't widely available across different um, IO graduate programs. I guess that, that's one of the reasons. Yeah, so I'm Charles Handler. Uh, my job title is I'm president, founder of Rocket Hire. So we're a consultancy that's been working in employee selection for a couple of decades now. So I am an IO psychologist. I have a doctorate from LSU and yeah, I've been practicing probably about 30 years now, if I can believe it or not. Uh, and I focused a lot on selection across my career and especially uh, things related to technology and kind of the cutting edge, but also keeping, keeping my feet really grounded in the, you know, the traditional and proper uh, ways to do things. So I made some jambalaya. I'm down here in New Orleans. So, I mean, it's a pretty good fit for me in the spicy food show here. Uh, jambalaya is the quote, uh, George Costanza. Let's see if I can remember it. It's, it's a, well, it's a relative of paella, um, which is Spanish. And the first settlers were down here were Spanish. So um, I remembered from Seinfeld, George Paella, there was a there was an episode that had some some paella in there. So George Costanza said, uh, let's see, it's a melange of uh, meat, fish, and rice, and it's very tasty. Um, jambalaya also, though, has um, evolved a little bit. It really epitomizes our culture down here because it also has some French influence in it and even some West Indian stuff. So we're, we're a melting pot down here. And, uh, and it's inherently not actually that super spicy, but you know, you kind of spice it to taste. So I got my Louisiana hot sauce here, which I prefer to the Tabasco that everybody, I like Tabasco. It is from here, but I like Louisiana better. Uh, so you, you, you spice it to taste, but the sauce that you put in there can be spicy and you sneak a little bit of pepper in there too. So Tabasco is from a town, a few towns over from New Orleans, right? Is your favorite from New Orleans or nearby? Uh, yeah, it's from Avery Island, which is down in South Louisiana. I think it's a couple of hours from here. I've actually never been there, but there's a plantation there and yeah, it's, it's pretty famous. And of course their brand is proliferated worldwide, you know, um, and I love it, but this is a little more vinegary. I like that aspect of it. Um, so that's what I prefer with my jambalaya. 
And then it's just really, let's see if you can see it in there. Oops, camera backwards. Hmm. This is chicken and sausage. Oops. And I like really spicy stuff, so I could have brought ghost peppers or, you know, some other stuff, but I really wanted to keep it. Ooh, wee, that's good. Mm. Really spicy, but not too spicy. I think my spicy take is sometimes we can't get out of our own way. We, we're so meticulous and thorough and, you know, really want to question things, which I think is a very good thing. But you start looking at what's going on in the environment we work in, which is a world of work and technology. Uh, it takes off a lot faster than we can sometimes. And, and we, I think a lot of times when you deal with others who are not in our discipline, you know, the immediate stigmatism is, oh, you, you all are too academic or you're too numbers focused or you take too long to do things or, or you know, all these methods and all this data you want to collect, you know, like that just takes too long. We don't have time to stop for that. And when you look at the research practice gap, you know, it seems like we're always a little bit behind. But and that, I don't know that that's much of a controversial or spicy take, but that's something that, you know, we all have to reflect on, I think. And, and I feel like that's really changing, though. Over the last little while, we're seeing more and more. Look, I mean, the data part of biopsychology is really you have a lot more data scientists being involved, a lot more computer scientists being involved. And we're really working our way into a lot of other disciplines. And, and when we get in there, we're lockstep with everybody else. We're providing the, the value that we can bring to the table. And as technology increases, I think we're getting more and more of an opportunity um, to, to be part of the equation. So I think that's, that's pushing us um, further, faster, maybe. Just start looking. I was talking to somebody today. Start looking at the corporations and the, the things that we deal with a lot. Like I had somebody from Uber on a panel at PSYOP and I've seen there's Air, you know, Airbnb has IOs and Netflix. You just start looking at these major brands, um, especially technology. And, uh, and we're there, you know, I think that's really good. And just the number of programs and the number of people that programs are putting out has also increased. So the interest in what we're doing, I think it was, um, I mean, it, this is obviously a little bit, I don't want to say rig, but I remember it's probably four or five years ago. Was it the, um, it wasn't the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but some government organization, you know, they predicted IO psychology would be one of the top growing fields ever, right? They have a lot of IO psychologists working there and you know, maybe there's a, a little bit of connection there. But anyway, it was good to see that, you know, I think, I think it's become something that it, it, we can all be really proud of, not that we haven't always. Like we've got to keep evolving and we've got to keep, um, we've got to keep really uh, doing our very best to catch up. Oh, the times were hard and the wages low. Leave a Johnny, leave a. I guess it's time for us to go. And it's time for us to leave her. Leave a Johnny, leave her. That's it for another gig. To stay in touch, subscribe on YouTube, check out our website at thegig.online, join our LinkedIn group, sign up for our email notification list, and join our Discord. So many ways to connect.
Thanks for joining us and see you next time for another great IO get together.